All right. Thanks, Ben. For the rest of us, you can open up your Bibles to John chapter 18. This morning, we're going to just continue in um, what's been going on here with the the final few days of Christ while he was on earth. And John kind of takes this story and he does what, if you watch almost any TV show, uh, this is the norm now. It just took us a long time to figure this out. But there are edits, right? Constant edits going back and forth and following different storylines. And uh, this morning, there's this literary style that John's going to use doing exactly the same thing, where he's basically following, he's tracking with two different stories and taking uh, however many verses we have, 15 or so verses um, in the amount of time that we have. Uh, what I chose to do is this. I, I really chose to focus on one of the two storylines. There's kind of an inside storyline of Christ being put before um, a a ruler, a, a person in authority. And we're going to get some more into that in the weeks to come. But, um, but I really want to track with, with Peter and kind of what's going on with him. And that's outside in this, in this courtyard. And we're going to read the, the passage through. And just much like we discovered last week, I, I just feel like this is a, it's a well-known passage. We talk about Peter's denial a lot. And um, I don't know how many of you watch NASCAR. I don't, but... Most people who watch NASCAR or any kind of racing, I think they watch it for the wrecks. You know, that's the most exciting part because the rest of the time they're just going around in a circle. And, uh, and you know, like if I'm a NASCAR driver, it's a little interesting that every time there's a NASCAR commercial, it's usually showing a wreck of some sort. Like that's what they're looking for as you watch that sport. Um, and Peter is interesting because Peter, I mean, he does so much right but, um, but I think we tend to talk about in the church and as we read him, we, we talk about a lot of his failures and faults. And I think we like to do that because we identify with them and we go, well, there's an apostle that, that did those same sort of things. But as we're going to see this morning, I just want to um, I just want to think about this guy, Simon, that, that Jesus meets. And I want to look at his life a little bit more in 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 total. And just to kind of bring you up to speed with where we are, I mean, this is kind of like, you know, previously on 24 or whatever. I mean, this is, this is where we've been so far the last few weeks, just to catch up to speed. Mark 14, and again, uh, as we're reading through John, um, it's really handy to have, um, to have some of the different accounts. Some of your Bibles show exactly where in Matthew, Mark, and Luke this same record is being recorded. And it's good to read the different accounts. These are four different witnesses to the to the um, events that are going on. And in Mark, Jesus is said to say this, that all of you, he's looking at his disciples and he says, all of you will desert me. And he predicts this. And we talked a little bit last week. Jesus knows what's going on. He knows what's coming. He's not taken by surprise. And here's Peter's uh, reply. He says, even if all do, I never will. Never do. Desert you, Lord. And then he goes on to say this, that even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. Remember last week we talked about vain lips and, and empty words. I mean, here's here's an example where I think Peter in all of his in all of his soul believes he's right. And he's saying this from a heart of devotion. But really, as we see the events play out, those are those are vain lips. 
giving empty words to Christ. And here's what Jesus replies. He says, the truth is, and then he goes on to point out that actually you're going to deny me three times. And just that knowledge that Jesus knew Peter better than Peter knew himself. There are times that that you just say, I'm going to do this, or I want to do this, or Lord, this is what I'm all about. And I think the key is to being receptive. The next day in your quiet time, what you hear in the Word is, the truth is, X, Y, Z. And to hear that. And we're going to look at what Peter has has to say about this. It's been a long day for this guy, Simon. In modern vernacular, he'd be Simon Johnson, right? Simon, son of John. And, and, and Jesus comes and lays eyes on him and, and begins to dialogue with him. And now we're at this really long day for him. First, there's been this most inappropriate fush, foot washing episode, right? We looked at that in John chapter 13. Not only was that inappropriate and really awkward and got his heart pounding, going, what is going on that our teacher, that our master, that the one we've devoted our lives to is kneeling down to wash our feet. But it's followed by this double rebuke. Remember what Peter says? It gets to be his turn. And what does he say? Never, Lord, I'll never have you wash my feet. And what does Jesus do? He corrects him. He rebukes him. He says, unless I wash you, you'll have no part of me. So what does Peter do? All the way to the other side. Then wash all of me, Lord. And what does Jesus do? He rebukes him again. And he's just got these boundaries on Peter, you were wrong on this end. Now you're wrong on this end. You you don't need to be washed. So so Peter is just confused by that and and hurt by that. And just like if we were friends and I were to rebuke you that way publicly and you put yourself out there, you'd be hurt by that. You'd be confused by it. Moving on in the story, I mean, these are just some of the highlights or lowlights, however you want to look at them. But. But we looked at this a little bit uh, uh, last week and, and the week before that he was caught at his post asleep three times, right? Comes out and, and, and here he's saying, I, I mean, I'll go to the death with you. Even if all these other chumps, these other, you know, they may not, but I'm going to do it. Three times Jesus comes and finds him asleep. The third time it says Peter didn't know what to say. One of the few times Peter's stumped. He doesn't have anything coming out of his mouth. And then last week we talked about this, that he, he comes out swinging with a sword. And these fishermen hands have no idea, I think, how to wield the sword quite properly. And, and that ends up in just an epic failure and more rebuke. Jesus commanded Peter in front of these couple hundred soldiers, in front of the whole thing, put away your sword. And he, again, he's trying to do the right thing. Time and again, I think what he does is the wrong thing. But I think with the right motives. And I really like looking at Peter's life because I think so much of us identify with him. So now we come to our passage this morning that we're going to read and we're going to start in verse uh, 12. And just think about the emotional state of Peter right now. This is just kind of a quick cap, but he lived through this. He's disheartened, discouraged, confused and scared. And yet the day isn't even close to over yet. He doesn't get to turn in and. Thank God for His new mercies tomorrow morning and start over. The day is going to press on. Look at verse 12 and just kind of follow along. It says, Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound Him and brought Him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, 
he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside the do- at, at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back and spoke to the girl on duty there and brought Peter in. You are not one of his disciples, are you? The girl asked at the door. He replied, I am not. It was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in the synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest? He demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what as, as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him still bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. As Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, you are not one of the disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, I'm not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Let me pray. Spirit, we just invite your presence right now to open our eyes, to open our hearts. Uh, Lord, to glean from this what it is we need to see. I pray that we would look at this passage this morning as we'd look in a mirror and that we wouldn't deny or forget who we are in relation to this, Lord, but that we'd take action as we walk away this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Peter and Jesus are friends, and one of the things I just want to focus on is their relationship as we read this story and think about it. Think about your friendships that you have. I don't care if they're relatives or if they're workmates or if they're your uh, your marriage mate, whatever it is, but your friendships are pretty pretty uh, complex, aren't they? They're multi-layered. And um, if you're like me, you're, you're assessing your relationships periodically, if not often. And when things are askew, you feel that. It doesn't feel good. And, and, and you want to get to the bottom of, of it. And, and it, it affects your day. It affects other parts of you. As we look at the relationship between Jesus and Simon Peter, we see the same thing, that there's is a, a layered and, and complicated relationship. Now, as we look at Peter, as we, as we dive into looking at him, um, mind you, Jesus is always the hero in the stories of the, of the Bible. Even when a passage is about someone, uh, as we get to see Peter and look at Peter, what we actually see is we see Christ lifted up in the context of that. Because we see what kind of friend Jesus is to Peter here. These denials that we talk about, we always talk about Peter denying Christ And if you want to just put it really, really bluntly, what they are is their lies, right? We've attached the name denial to it, but what he does is he lies three times. And he's offered up a statement where he has the opportunity to speak truth or to lie. And there's just no in between there. And so what he does is three times over he lies, but what he lies about is his friendship with Jesus. And so that's why... The, the word, you know, denial or betrayal becomes even maybe a little bit more cutting. But what this underscores is this deeper truth about Peter, and that is that he's broken. He's broken like the rest of us. I love that song that we just sang. It's this reminder that there's an invitation for sinners to come to him. 
And the second that you as a Christian or that we as a church or that as a group of believers in a community group begin denying access to Christ to sinners is the day we've gone terribly wrong in the gospel. Because Jesus was about inviting sinners who are lost, who are ruined by the fall. And they're and they're trying to, to get to Jesus. And that certainly describes Peter. Talk about the fact that we look at his faults a lot, but but let me just point out a couple of firsts for Peter. Peter's the first to be called by Jesus. He's the first to confess Jesus. If you read through the Gospels, all four accounts, no matter which guy is, is reproducing the story, Peter's always listed first. He's very clearly preeminent in terms of the other disciples. When the three fall asleep, Jesus comes back and he corrects only Simon, even though there were two others with him. And so in some ways, Peter actually becomes a representative for the twelve at times. When the, the temple tax from the fish's mouth is to be paid. Peter's the one that's sent off to do it. There's all these things where Peter is kind of over and above the others in some ways. Peter's given this new identity, this new title by Christ. Uh, we always refer to him as Peter. That's what I hear most. But if you, if you read through the Gospels carefully, you see Jesus never really calls him that. Jesus calls him by his given name, Simon, which is a super, super common name. And he keeps calling him Simon. And Peter is a title, much like Christ is a title. And we've, we've begun to, to join those. Jesus Christ is Jesus the Christ. And that's so synonymous that we sometimes just call him Christ and we know what we're talking about. Well, the same is true with Peter. That doesn't even become a name really in common usage for a long, long time later. And so his name is Simon. And yet Jesus comes up to him and he gives him this name. And it's a prophetic name. It's like someone walking up to you and you just became a Christian and someone walking up to you and saying, Pastor. Pastor John. Pastor Frank, whatever. And you go, what? I just became a Christian two days ago. Uh, What are you talking about? And essentially, we know what Peter is. It's the rock, right? And on this rock, I will build my church. And he gives them this prophetic new identity, but we don't see that pan out for quite a while yet. And this is just pure grace. If you think about it, um, this is not because of Peter's great wisdom or his might. In fact, uh, this bears to mind other places in the New Testament where we see that God chooses the least among them to do great things. What he does is he takes really fallen vessels that have a lot of holes in them so that as he grows in leadership, as he begins to be the very one that Christ is going to build the church on, people look at that and say there's no way that that's Simon doing that. No possible way. And so I love it that God takes the, the insignificant, the probably least qualified from a human perspective and says, you're the one I'm going to build the church on. And that's exactly what he does. It's not because Peter's necessarily stable or steadfast. Can you, can you get this from his life so far? He's not necessarily a rock, right? I mean, he's a guy that in some ways is an emotional roller coaster ride. It's not, it's not because of his great and profound steadfastness that Jesus says, you're most like a rock, I'm going to build it on you. And just to catch that with Peter, this is just the grace of God being given to him. I want you to see this morning that Peter's development, that Peter's formation into the rock that the church is going to be built on includes failure. It includes destruction in some ways. 
Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You can just write that down. We don't need to turn there. But he takes this title of rock, and rather than cling to it and point to everyone else, say, don't forget, I'm the rock. Jesus gave me this title. I'm Peter. Instead, I love that near the end of his life, it's almost like he's inclusive with it. And he says, I'm not just the only rock. You too are rocks. Listen to what he says. He says, you also, like living stones, are being built into the holy temple of God. Isn't that a profound thought? That as God takes you and calls you from a life of sin and calls you to follow Him, He's actually building you into a living stone. And He's saying, I want this piece to fit right here. And like a master architect, He's got this this holy temple built up of His his body, the church, and He's got you fit in there in some place. So Peter takes this title and it's almost like he disperses it out and says, you also are living stones. And you're being built into this holy temple. I wonder why it is. I think some of us get really frustrated when our spiritual life doesn't go like this. It doesn't just chart like this. We kind of start off with the Lord and we just expect to just head straight up to heaven on this on this, you know, gentle, upwardly mobile uh, type graph. What happens is we get really frustrated when we start off and things are really good and then we fall down and things aren't so good and we try something new and it's very, very difficult. Think about the physical world for a moment. Probably riding a bike, learning to ride a bike was a long time ago for many of you. Some of you, not so much. But when you learn to ride a bike, you didn't start off just riding a bike, right? It took a little while to get there. Now, think about any other new skill you've learned, the brand new job that you had, getting a feel for what that job entailed, becoming a parent, figuring out what it means to care for this new little person, driving a car, whatever it is. In the physical world, we totally get that there's a process to growth, right? And we don't, we don't grind the gears in a car and go, forget it, I'm never driving again. I cannot do this. We expect that. We expect to fall down. We expect to grow in that skill. And it's true that way with spiritual things. One of the kids' uh, devotionals this week, Ethan came to me and I said, hey, have you had your quiet time with God? He said, yeah. I said, what did you do? And so he was showing me and, um, and it was all in the eye. And so he had to go look up some facts on the computer about the eye and this and that. So we were talking about the eye. And I said, well, why are you talking about the eye? He said, well, because God gave us eyes to see the physical world. And in seeing the physical world, it it points to and it shows us the unseen spiritual world and what he's like. And I go, wow, that's pretty profound. (laughs) You know, it's good. I'm going to write that down. Um, But we just talked about that, that when you look at the physical world, you're able to see an unseen God. And I want you to think about a skill that you're really good at right now. And you don't even think twice about it. I've watched John Thomas on a motorcycle, for instance. The very first time I went dirt biking was with John Thomas. I wasn't very good. John was. And I watched John just mindlessly going through the shifting and ripping around this course. And for John to be a good teacher, he needs to come back to my level and walk me through it. And after falling, I think I fell twice that day. um, But I got back on and kept going. And I was much better by the end of the day than at the start of the day. But for John, being kind of way advanced and way out in front, whatever skill it is, maybe you don't ride dirt motorcycles, but whatever skill you have right now, you don't have to think about it. You just do it. I want you to think back to how you began that task. 
how you were at the very beginning of that. And as we talk about spiritual development, as we talk about spiritual formation, I want you to just have some grace and some patience for you in your life that you are um, you are allowed to have failures. You're allowed to have dips and God's going to take those come alongside like John did with me on a motorcycle and correct them and say, no, 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 this is how you do it. And you're going to get back up and do it some more. We did something uh, this this a couple weeks ago at camp called the screamer. And um, and this is a this is a thing that you stand on this high platform and praise God for strong ropes, because um, if you didn't have that, it'd be really bad. But um, but basically, you take this plunge right off this platform. And uh, I got to be at the bottom and take pictures and video of these kids that were doing this. And what's so cool about it was to see them taking their belief in the fact that this will hold them and that they will be okay. And not just saying that, but taking that step off. And some went forward and some went backward and most screamed on some version. You know, there was the girl scream, but there's also the guy scream, which is, yeah! <laughs> which is kind of like the guy scream. They're screaming, but they're doing it in a, in a guy way. And it was just such a cool thing to sit there and watch these kids coming, you know, one after another and, and doing this thing. And um, and as you looked at as you looked at that sequence of them just flying off of this thing, um, it makes you think about the word belief. I want you to do me a favor and write the word belief down on your paper for a second. And um, and as I was looking at this word and, and this this thing that we all struggle with sometimes and we just pray for more faith. What we see right in the middle of it is this. And I hadn't really caught this until until this week, but we see this um, this. It's not going. There it is. This word lie just is right in the middle of, of belief. And as you think about it, as, as you think about your own spiritual development, probably many of us in this room, as I look around, I know many of your stories, but, but many of us took a point of commitment where we stepped off the plank. We said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to follow Christ. And like Peter, we left something. We left nets. We left relationships. We left patterns and habits of our old life behind. And we've seen Christ do a remarkable work. But at the same time, as we're in this process of belief, denials are present within us. Lies are right there with us, accompanying us along the way. I love this prayer that's found in the Gospels. And it says this, Lord, I do believe. Help my unbelief. That's one of the shortest, most profound prayers that I have used time and time again. And I would give it to you as an offering saying, would you just put that in your arsenal? What that's saying is, God, I want to be totally open and honest before you because you already know me anyways. I do believe you know that. But help my unbelief. Because unbelief is right there with me. Lies are accompanying my belief system right now. I'm under attack. I want to give to you two examples from Peter's life where I where I see this. I think there's many more we could point to, but two just jumped out to me. One is Peter walking on the water. So, again, we, we, we talk about this and you can attack this story from different angles. Sometimes people miss the tremendous triumph of faith that it is for Peter to say, Jesus, command me to come to you. And he gets out of the boat while the rest of the guys are not getting out of the boat. All the rest of the guys are at the top of the screamer platform and Peter's going, tell me to jump. I can do this. You can do this. So it's a huge triumph of faith that he does this. But isn't it true that right in the midst of his belief, that took tremendous faith. 
It took tremendous belief to believe that he could do what Jesus was doing. Right in the midst of his belief, what does he do? He believes a lie. The lie is this. He begins to look around at his circumstances. He begins to look around at what we would call reality and think in his head, I shouldn't be doing this. There's no possible way I can be up here above the water. And as soon as he takes his eyes off Jesus and begins to look around, he begins to sink. What he did was he listened to a lie. He was looking at truth personified. He cried out to truth personified. And he asked to do a miracle, basically, and he did. And he's in the process of incredible belief. And right in the midst of that, along comes a lie. What does Jesus say? He says this. Why did you doubt? So doubts right there. Here's the second one. When Peter confesses Christ in Mark chapter eight, records this. He says this. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Remember this? Who do people say that I am? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. And Peter says this. And Jesus, I think just in a, in a great way, he says, you know, you're blessed, Simon. Because you didn't get this from your own head. This was given to you divinely. This is divinely uh, appointed knowledge, basically. In almost the same breath, go down to verse 31 in that same chapter. And what you have is this, that the Messiah will suffer. The, the Messiah will be a servant, the Messiah is going to die. Jesus begins to map out where he's going. And Peter, who had been following the teaching of the day, which says the Messiah will never do any of those things, begins to correct Jesus' theology. Do you remember this? Jesus, come here. We need to we have a little chat. You're close. And, you know, it's, I mean, it's just, that's the other thing Peter's the first of doing is he, he's the only disciple I can find that ever says no to Jesus. I mean, this is really one of several denials for, for, for Peter. He says no to Jesus on numerous occasions as you go through his life. And so Peter now is rebuking Jesus, correcting Jesus' theology. And Jesus says one of the most shocking, stern rebukes I can possibly fathom. And that is, get behind me, Satan. You have the things of man in mind and not the things of God. I mean, if that didn't shut up Peter, I don't know what does. But Jesus just called him Satan. Right in the midst of belief. Do you see this? This lie comes pouring out. The belief is you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He confesses exactly who Jesus really is. And in almost the same breath, turns around and is siding with and accomplishing the work of Satan by being a tempter to the flesh of Jesus. And it's almost frightening to me to see this, but I resonate with in my life where belief and doubt and lies are right in the same scenario. Right in the midst of a, of a day where you're on a mountaintop, you can experience the lie and the absolute derailment of your faith. It's always there. It's always present. And see this from Scripture. In the same breath, Peter's lips pour out divinely revealed praise and demonic self-interest. In one step, he's just achieving these spiritual heights on the waters. And in the very next, he's sinking to the depths almost near death. And it happens like that in a flash. What about you? What about you and your belief system right now? What about you and your faith with God? What about you and your friendship with Christ? Isn't your friendship with Christ layered and at times complicated? I wonder for you if you resonate with this idea that this living a life of faith is not about making statements. It's not about signing a card. 
It's about our lips. It's about our feet. It's about our actions. It's about our doubts. It's about our faith. It's about seeing God come close and seeing him come through in amazing ways. And in the very next breath, crying out, where are you? Why do you never listen to me? Aren't you here in the midst of this? And we see this belief in this lie almost in the same breath. I want to give you just a couple of practical things. And then we're just going to, as a family, we're just going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're going to remember Christ this morning. With communion. When life's uh, lies are revealed to us, what do we do? What do we not do? Let me give you a couple of don'ts first. The first don't is this. Don't label them. Don't label a flat out lie as, well, it was just a denial. Or it was just a white. It was somehow white and that makes it better. You know, we like to give color system to it. Uh, I'm, I'm just taking a break from church right now. I'm just not feeling uh, things right now. What these are is these are these are labels that we give to it. I'm just a little backslidden. I'm just a little bit checked out. I'm I'm pulling away. I'm checking out other things. What these are is these are labels that we can sometimes do. And what it does is it tries to to minimize sin, tries to get us to think it's not that big of a deal. It's getting a doctor report and they say there's a lump and we're really scared. And you go, I'm sure I just overate and it all accumulated in that one spot. And you're just going, what? That's crazy. Like, you're not going to look at this? That's what this is. It's giving it some weird label and putting it on a shelf and forgetting about it. Here's the second thing not to do is to, is to dismiss them or, or deny them. When you find a lie creep up right in the midst of your belief, don't just deny it. Don't be the one that says, I'm 100% truthful when there's falsehood in your life. What that does is that begins to heap sin on sin on sin on sin. And as we deny, sometimes we flat out don't know. But when someone confronts us in an area of sin, when someone confronts us and says, brother, sister, you're living a lie right now. You're believing a lie in this area. Let me show you from the scriptures. That is flat out wrong. That's not a gray area. And you're rebuked by it. Don't dismiss it. Don't keep on with the lie. And we all are so tempted to that. I'm so tempted to just keep the front up. Almost for myself as much as for other people. I don't even want to go there. I don't want to go through the work of figuring this out. That sounds way too hard. Can I just kind of be? And what happens is that sin is like a cancer. A couple of do's. When you're in the midst of a believing day, when you're in the midst of a situation where you're walking on water and a lie creeps up, what do you do with that? What do you do with a failure? What do you do with, with these things that come out to us? We just, or actually, we're going to sing the song. That was sound check. We're going to sing the song, Cry Out to Jesus. That's one of the things that you do. What does Peter do as he's walking on the water and he starts to sink? Lord, save me. There's another great prayer to put in your pocket. Right in the midst of a temptation, it says he will provide a way of escape. So look for it. Lord, save me right now in this moment. This can all happen in a cubicle, in your mind. Or it could be where your feet are. But you just say, Lord, save me. Cry out to Jesus when you have lies attacking you. Here's the second thing is to confess. Call them out and confront them. Acknowledge your lostness. Acknowledge the fact that you're ruined in this area. Acknowledge the fact that you have believed a lie. 
That's called confession. And it's a basic elementary part to our life of faith. And as we progress forward, we've got to be in confession. Right thinking includes the washing of our minds in the Word. Part of coming together with brothers and sisters is to come and hear truth revealed. Friday morning, a group of men and I sat and we thanked God at the end of our time together saying, thank you for letting us start our Friday and our weekend just thinking on what's true. We want to think on you and what's true. And so doing that and and coming and confessing. We looked last week at the way Jesus sustained was obedience and prayer in the garden. Go to a place of a garden where you can go and just confess and cry out. Thirdly, I would say this is, is repent. We don't get it here in John, but Luke 22 records that Simon goes out after Jesus looks at him after these three denials. And what does he do? It says that he weeps bitterly. I don't know the last time you sobbed and wept bitterly, but we sing a song called Overwhelmed that just says, and I'm nothing. And it's good to be overwhelmed with your sin. It's good to see your sin from God's perspective. And if you're yielding to it, if you're open to it, God will show you what sin looks like from His perspective. And it's frightening, and it's scary, and it's overwhelming. And I believe that Peter, in breaking, and in this weeping that goes on, and in that look, I don't know exactly the look that Jesus gave him, but you know it was a confirming look that everything clicked for Peter. I mean, he probably flashed back. I'll never deny you. I don't care if anyone else runs away. I never will. Even if I go to death with you. And then Jesus just, I think lovingly, but pretty bluntly saying, well, the truth actually, Peter, is this. And then to have it come to fruition so soon after and to just go, man, where, where was my resolve? Where did it all go? Why am I in the dumps again? I think this brokenness of Peter is absolutely monumental to understanding the man that he became. Crying out, confessing, repenting. I think those are pretty common things. I think people know those to be the right thing. I think there's one more do, though, that a lot of people don't do. They leave it at that and wonder why they keep getting pummeled. They keep getting bullied in their spiritual walk. And they find themselves stuck year after year. Here's the third one is fight. Fourth one, actually. Don't just cry out to Jesus, Lord, save me. Don't just confess it and agree with God about your sin, although those are very important. Don't just repent, which is to weep over your sin and turn from it. It's to fight. In that moment of temptation, in that moment of lie coming at you, it's not to make allowance and side with the enemy. But instead, to resist, to fight. The father of lies is Satan. So when you're being lied to, that is demonic activity happening in your life, in your family. In the same way, you would never let any kind of intruder into your home after you've locked it up. You wouldn't just say, well, they're here now. Want some coffee? You know, we've got a spare bedroom. You're going to fight and you're going to say you're an intruder. You're unwanted here. You're not allowed here. And with spiritual warfare, with spiritual weapons, you fight that intruder. Whether that be in your mind, whether that be in your actions, whatever it is. And that's why we need each other. Call up a brother in that moment and say, right now, I need prayer. 
I approached someone in this room today and I said, I want you to know that this week while I was driving, your name and face came to me so crystal clear. I mean, I'm constantly thinking about people and praying for people. That's not abnormal. But often God will bring a very specific person and face to my mind. And here they are at church with me. And I love that. And I just go, man, I want you to know, brother, I was praying for you right then and there. Sometimes I'll call that person right then and there and say, I want you to know, I've been praying for you the last 10 minutes because God put you on my mind. That's the fight that we're to be involved in. I love that Peter as an old man, as he's writing first and second Peter, you can almost hear echoes of his life as this young guy, as this new Christian. And you can follow his track record through the Gospels because of uh, the Gospels and Acts, really, because of the Bible that we have recorded for it. But here are some of the things that he says. Think about this in light of a guy who fell asleep at his post three times, in light of a guy who was was wielding a sword and working against God in that garden. Having the self-interest of man as he spewed out the fact that, uh, that the, the Messiah would never suffer, would never die, would never do these things. Listen to what he says. Just write these down. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13. He says this, prepare your minds for action. The very opposite of this lesson he learned, I think, in the Garden of Gethsemane. First Peter 5, 8, be self-controlled and alert This is Peter, the one who had fallen asleep three times. The one who, in one moment, was saying, I'll never deny you. And the next moment, it's like a rogue wave comes and just washes him out. And before he knows it, he's flat on his back, totally denying Christ three times to a servant girl. 2 Peter 3.17, he says it pretty succinctly. Be on your guard. Prepare your minds for action. Be sober. Be self-controlled and alert. And be on your guard. Doesn't it sound like a guy who's learned some of the lessons that we see in these failures? I love it. It's this sage older man passing on the wisdom of life experience with God. I have to say that our area that we live in doesn't make it easy to fight the spiritual battle. I thought about this whole idea of denial, and I think we live in the state of denial. I mean, not just California, although California could qualify, but... I think Americans in general perpetually live in somewhat of a state of of denial. Take the word amusement, for for instance. We like to talk about entertainment now, the entertainment industry, this and that. But amusement is this. Muse is the word to think, right? You put the word ah in front of it or the a in front of it, and it's the antithesis of that. It's to not think. Well, we have amusement parks. What do you do in an amusement park? You don't think. That's, I mean, that's part of the joy of it. You go, and these are good things. It's good to recreate. It's good to go be amused. But we're, we're a society that almost worships amusement. We worship the entertainment system and saying, I want to come home and just put on the TV so I don't have to think. That's what amusement is all about. And in a way, that's a, that's a sense of denial. It's denying really living. I thought about this thing called the World Wide Web, and it's probably appropriately named because the web, I mean, it does. It, it entangles you. Some of you know this. I mean, Facebook's just the tip of the iceberg. You find yourself a couple hours later going, what just happened to my day? I'm supposed to be at work and here I am, you know, taking a quiz about what? You know, or finding out what character I am, I, shooting people in mafia. I mean, I don't understand all this stuff, but I see it going on. And it's this web and it, and it can entangle you and eventually just kind of like, you know, wrap you up where you're just 
every day becomes about that. And that's a, that's a version of denial that we have to fight against. I think if we're not fighting against the entertainment industry, we're, 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 we're slowly being sucked in and swallowed into it. I want to close with this. Matthew 5, chapter 3 says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Maybe you come this morning and you say, man, Peter is head and shoulders above me. That's the least of my concerns. If all I had to worry about was three denials, I'd be doing really good that day. Here's what I would say to you. As we go to celebrate communion in just a moment, band, why don't you come on up? I want you to say that if you're at a place where you recognize I am penniless, I am broke, I am helpless to give anything to God. I would say what that does is that's an initiation. That's a first step in being qualified for the kingdom of God is to recognize your poverty is to recognize it's not about what you're bringing to God. As we come to the Lord's table, it's not you coming and saying, "Okay, God, here's why we can be tight again. I know I blew it on Monday. Wednesday was rough, but I've been doing really good these last 48 hours. Are we good? That's not what the Lord's table is about. The Lord's table is about this. It's coming empty handed. It's about recognizing the fact that you're broke. It's about agreeing with it and saying, God, any good thing I have, any good thing I'll ever do comes from you. And Jesus says, come, you sinners, welcome. Recognize that you're ruined. Recognize that you're lost. Recognize that you're broke. Part of your development is coming to that place again and again and again. The opposite of that is turning into a Pharisee. It's turning into those who think they're spiritually rich. Who think they're the spiritual haves and look down on the spiritual have-nots. So if you're at a place of brokenness this morning, welcome. You're in great or not so great company, however you look at it. We're going to celebrate, but here are the things I want you to keep in mind. Three things. Come to Jesus for salvation. If you've not begun a friendship with Jesus, that's what this story is all about. If you're denying Jesus and you don't know Him right now, that's the way you were born to do. The whole reason God sent His Son, the whole reason we're going to celebrate the cross is so that there's a, an open door of relationship and friendship. Come to Jesus for salvation today. Secondly is to repent and weep over your sin and failure. I loved last week just praying with some men who God was moving in their life. And confession was pouring out. That's what this place ought to be about. These songs aren't a show. These songs are an invitation to worship and to communicate things in your heart and soul that you're trying to say. Maybe for some of you this morning, I would just challenge you to do this. Would you just revel in the broken body and blood of Jesus? I mean, just celebrate it. Really be happy about the fact that as you take and hold a piece of bread and you hold a little cup of juice that represent the shed blood and body of Christ on the cross, you revel in it. There's, I mean, there's nothing that could make you more excited. Nothing that pleases you more than the fact that God chose to crush His Son. You know why Jesus died? It's so that Peter didn't have to. It's so that Peter didn't have to come and pay for his denials. 
It's so that you don't have to. That's why we celebrate the Lord's table.